My name is Craig. If you don't know me, I'm just one of the servants here at Heart of the City. I want to open by just telling you um, a little tiny piece of my testimony, if that's okay. And you'll see where I'm going with this in a second and uh, introducing a brand new series that we're jumping into here, moving into 2018. We're really excited about this. But I grew up going to church um, pretty much every Wednesday and Sunday my whole life. Like straight out the womb, church. Any church rats in the house? Yeah? Okay. Any, like, opposite of that? Like, you're brand new to this whole thing, and you're like, church is weird. Anybody? Okay. Hey, man, stick them up high. We love that you're here. Like, seriously, we love that. If it's only church rats in here, we're not doing our job. But So that was me. I was a church rat, and... Um, you know, I said the prayer to accept Jesus into my life when I was a kid, and I said it like 50 times because I was scared it didn't work the time before, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it, as if it's some sort of transaction that, like, did that work or not work? Like, did the vending machine take the dollar or just spit it back out, you know what I'm saying? Like, like and that's just how I thought because I didn't, I didn't really get that it's not so much about a transaction, a, a spiritual transaction to get my ticket to go somewhere when I die, but it's about a relationship. And even though I would have called myself a Christian, if anybody asked me any of those years, any of those crazy middle school years, any of those even crazier high school years, even though if you asked me, I would have said, yeah, of course I'm a Christian, I didn't actually follow Jesus until I was 18. And that's just my story. Um, I, uh, I just kind of wore masks for a bit of my life. I don't know if you can relate. But there was this, this moment between my junior and senior year of high school where a lot of things that God orchestrated happened and I felt like God like supernaturally slapped me in the face and he said, Craig, do you believe in me? And I said, yeah, of course. And he's like, no, really? Because you don't act like it. And I was like, you're right. Like, I really don't. And so I had to decide because I felt like the choice was obvious and the choice was in front of me. Either stop claiming that I follow this God that I clearly don't believe in, stop claiming it and just walk away or actually live your life as if he's real. Like, it really doesn't make sense to live in the middle. It's miserable for everybody. All parties involved are miserable. And when I, when I came to the conclusion, God is real, and therefore, since God is real, I, it only makes sense that I give him everything. I gave him everything, and that's when, for me, repentance happened, and I stopped being a Christian, and I started following Jesus, and everything changed. And so instead of going to the state school that I was going to go to, I went to Whitworth, and I went to Whitworth because this guy started discipling me, and I just was like, wow this guy's like Jesus and I just want to be like this guy and so I went to the college that he went to because I just wanted to be like him. And you know what? You never know if you just might be Jesus in somebody else's life. You never know that they might just look to you and say, I just want to be like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about your God but I want to be like you because he looks so good on you. And so I did that. I went to Whitworth and God just totally captivated my heart and the point of the story is this. I started studying theology at Whitworth at a Christian school and I, I spent four years getting an extremely in-depth, academic, intellectual, theological education in regards to God. Theology, the study of God. 
Isn't it interesting that people go to school and they, get a, they can get a master's in divinity? Like you could become a master in the divine. That's very unique. I don't have a master's in divinity, but I do have a bachelor's degree in theology. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to make this point that I was walking across campus my senior year and I just, just as clear as the Lord spoke to me that summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I heard him speak to me and he said, Craig, you have learned a whole lot about me. You've taken history of Christianity classes and you could, you could quote what are the Knights Templar and transubstantiation and all these terms that most people don't have any clue about. You know about you know, Old Testament theology and New Testament theology. You know a whole lot about me, Craig. But have you forsaken actually knowing me for learning about me? And it was the second time in my life where I like was stopped in my place. My heart was broken because just to learn about God doesn't actually mean that you know God. It'd be like me studying a book that somebody wrote all about this girl named Jessica Palmer. And I learned everything about her, but I never took the time to actually build a relationship with her. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> Her name's Jessica Brown now. We, we got married. And so I'm excited to announce that we're starting this new series, and it's called I Have Decided. And it's all about the, get ready for this. This is going to sound really spiritually sexy. It's all about the spiritual disciplines. Come on, take it in. Take it in. Doesn't that sound awesome? The disciplines. Yes. And that just, didn't it just make you feel good? Oh, yay. Series on the spiritual disciplines. Some of you are like, what, what are the spiritual disciplines? Some of you are like, I don't want, you know, this is going to be boring. Here's the thing. It's not going to be boring. It is going to be practical, hopefully motivating, hopefully inspirational, but definitely practical. Sometimes we get up here on this stage, and because of the culture we live in, and because we like to yell a lot, like we, we write these sermons that are maybe um, really full of hype and, and yelling and all this and passion, and you know what? That's great because if you're anything like me, I need my, my teeth kicked in. I need, sometimes I just need like motivation to do what I already know. Um, but sometimes we could preach, myself included, these messages that, that, that they have not a ton of like substance, like this is what I'm going to do with that message this week. And I just want to tell you right now, every single message that we're going to preach over the next eight or nine weeks is going to be like, you actually have something in your palm to do this week. And I'm going to take it one step further. This is my personal invitation to you. Our, our hope, our prayer, our challenge is that every single person in this church, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter if you're not following Jesus, that you would take what we're preaching about and that you would, that you would decide in your heart, I am gonna, I'm gonna give this thing a shot. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna put this thing in practice this week. That's our hope. That we would be preaching about a spiritual discipline, which if you don't know what those are, they're, they're really just the things 
that believers or followers of Jesus have used for thousands of years either to grow in their relationship with God or something that they would do in response to the relationship with God. So something that they would put into practice in order to grow closer to God or it's something that we would put into practice because of our relationship with God and it's a natural response. So some examples of that would be prayer, would be fasting, would be meditation, would be service. Service is something that you do because your relationship with God, you serve other people. Prayer is something that you do in order to grow within your relationship with God. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about a number of these. We're not going to talk about all of them. We just don't have time for that. But tonight, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting because it's all about our relationship with God. Later on, we're going to talk about um, things maybe to do with service or worship. We're going to talk about study. I'm really excited to announce this because uh, here at the end of January, we have this thing called Heart School that we're launching, and you, you need to keep your ears open for this. Uh, it's, it's taking place on Wednesday nights. It's going to come up near start of the end of January, and there's going to be all kinds of classes taking place in this building. Some of them will be academic. Some of them will be practical. Some of them will be more spiritually minded, uh, but it's all about, th- this is why we're doing this. Heart School, this sermon series, is because we've been listening to you. We've been listening to you. If you know anything about Heart of the City Church, you know we're, we're pretty good at, at drawing people. We're pretty good at introducing people to the Lord or helping people get reconnected with God. And I, for one, I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a church that does that, that God uses to do that. I'm so thankful that this church has more new guests like every year than I can even fathom. I mean, it's just crazy. People come and people meet, raise their hand and they meet Jesus and we're, we're so happy. But we've heard you asking, is there more? Is there deeper? What do I do to grow my relationship with God? And so this is our response. This series, Heart School, we're trying our best. We're not perfect, but we're trying our best to provide everything uh, that we can by God's grace to help you grow in your relationship with God. And so that's what this whole series is about. That's what Heart School's about. We're really excited about it. Um, This series, just in case you're curious, is loosely based on this book called Celebration of Discipline. It's by uh, Richard Foster. This is an absolute classic. I'm telling you, uh, this is amongst the top two or three books in my, in my life that has absolutely changed my world. Um, I would highly recommend this. We're selling this just at Bridges for our cost that we paid. But just go find it somewhere. Find it in a thrift store. Find it on Amazon or wherever you go to find it. You don't need it. Um, we're going to do our best to preach through these things, but it would sure help. Uh, we have our interns read through this book every year. And so um, would anybody read this book if I gave it to them? Would you read everything? You would? There you go. I saw your hand first. It's an amazing book. So uh, I want to just open. Um, this is all just an intro to the series. I'm going to open by reading uh, just a quote, a couple of quotes from this guy. There's so much good content in there. But this is what Richard says in regards to the spiritual disciplines at large. And then we're going to jump into our subject matter for tonight. That's what he says. God has given the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means to receiving his grace. That is, this is, this is how grace is dispensed to us, okay? If you're gonna take a drink of water, it's gonna come out of a cup. This is the cup, the means through which God is gonna dispense his grace to us. This is, this is how we connect with God, the spiritual disciplines. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. That's brilliant. They're not so we can change ourselves. They're not so we can make ourselves better. It's so that we can put ourselves in a position where he can transform us. He goes on to say, the disciplines um, are a way of sowing into the spirit. They are God's way of getting us planted into the ground. They put us where he can work on us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. 
They can only get us to the place where he can do something through his spirit. So, hope you're excited. We're going to jump in tonight. If you have a Bible, would you open uh, to Matthew chapter 6? I am going to tell you, I'm going to be preaching about uh, prayer and fasting, and it's going to be exciting. And uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this title, Relationship and Reward. Relationship and Reward. Relationship and Reward. And we're going to read together a few verses starting in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's longest recorded message on all kinds of different subjects. And as we've spoken about before, mainly what he's doing is teaching God's heart for his people and sometimes correcting misconceptions about how to live this thing out. And so here we go. We're going to jump in where he starts talking about prayer. This is what he says in Matthew chapter five, uh, 6, verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And by the way, that word just means actor. That is literally the word for the Greek actor for their comedies and their tragedies. That's the exact same word is actor in their society. He's saying, do not be like the actors that you would see on stage. For they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. What he's saying that this word is literally babbling. Don't just go on babbling and babbling and babbling and babbling and thinking that in your many words and your wordiness, that's what's going to get you heard by God. That's not what's going to get you heard by God. It's not just because you're talking a lot. It's going to be your heart. And by the way, the word Gentiles, if you're not familiar with that, that just speaks about basically anybody that wasn't in God's family. So he says, don't just, don't just keep talking and uh, heaping up empty words like all the pagans do, for they think that in their wordiness, they're going to be heard. But no, your father, he knows what you need before you ask him, so pray like this. And I know you've probably heard this before if you've been in church for any amount of time. You might have memorized it as a kid. But uh, I just want you to try and hear this with fresh ears Again tonight, don't, don't repeat it because sometimes you start reading the Lord's Prayer and you just, you just want to like say it, you know what I'm saying? So just listen. This is what it says. Jesus teaching us to, how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or your version might say the evil one. Or your version might add, for to you belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Which, by the way, was added around the year 300. And I'm not going to preach verse 14 and 15, but I'm just going to read it for you and just leave it right here for you because that's a whole message on its own. But he says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I'm just going just to leave that one right there. 
All right, a few more verses. Here we go. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they will have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, and that your father who is in secret will see, and your father who sees in, sorry, your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, let's pray. I know that's a long introduction, um, but I think that the Lord has just a few thoughts for us, and so I want to pray uh, just after reading his scripture that he would speak to us. So, Lord, thank you Again, for so many people that are here tonight in the snow, and uh, we're so thankful that you're here with us, that through your spirit, you would speak. Even uh, on the subject of prayer and fasting, we approach you with humble hearts. I approach you humbly, Lord, saying, I, I know that nothing that comes from myself is of any substance if it's not from your spirit. So we pray together, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me, that you speak through your word, and that you would do what only you can do in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Did you get what you wanted for Christmas? Yeah, some of you did. Me and Jess looked at each other and <laughs> realized the only thing we got was that dollar thing that JC got at the school store for us, wrapped in cardboard paper. And it's like, well, that's what it means to be 33, I guess. I just don't get anything anymore. So we gave ourselves some money and went shopping, you know. <laughs> but uh, think about this. This is an interesting thought. What if you actually got what you really wanted for Christmas? Like, what if what you received was actually what you most wanted in your heart? And what I'm not talking about is just like the gifts and how elaborate, you know, what it might have been if somebody were to buy you that gift, you know, those commercials on TV where somebody has a Lexus in their front yard with a big bow on it. Does that ever happen? It's just ridiculous. Like nobody does that. But, you know, you might have wished for a Lexus or whatever it is that you wish for. But, but think about this. Take the gifts away from it. What if you showed up to Christmas morning and the family was there and everything and what it is that you were actually looking forward to was not only what you got, but the only thing you got. And, and this is what I mean. Like, for some of you, maybe you go to the Christmas parties and you don't really get along with family, but you, like, really know that there's always going to be good food there. And so you're always looking forward to the food. And you know the family is kind of, like, crazy and you're not going to get any gifts because you're 33 like me. And, but you know what? There's going to be good food there. So that's what you're looking forward to at Christmas. And you show up, if that was you, if that was your heart, if that was your motivation, you show up and none of your family's even there and there's not a single present under the tree, but there's tons of good food. You know, what if you got the one thing that you really wanted, but you got nothing else? Would that really make you happy? Or what if you know the food is gonna be horrible, you know that gifts isn't really, it's not really about gifts and you got, you know, your family doesn't really spend a lot of money on gifts, but you just know that being with family is what it's all about and you look forward to it. That's the reward that you're looking for. And so you show up and there's not a single bit of food on the table, there's not a single present under the tree, but family is there. That's it. Would you be happy? Are you following my analogy here? So, so if you could imagine 
If you show up to Christmas and you only get whatever it is that you, that you really truly wanted in your heart, that would be pretty unique. That would be pretty different. Because um, that doesn't typically happen in our world. And what happens in our world, in, in the natural world that we live in, is that um, when we do work, we usually reap what we sow. You know, when we, when we show up to Christmas, we don't just get one thing, we get everything. And if, we, if we've been building our family with love, we're going to get a little bit of that. If we're going to cook, there's probably going to be some food there. If we're not going to cook, there's not going to be food. If people are buying presents, there's going to be presents. But think about a farmer. A farmer doesn't just go into the field and walk around and hope and pray that there's going to be uh, crops without actually sowing anything. No, there needs to be action of sowing. And then, and then we can pray and, and believe. But there has to be some action. There has to be something done. But when it comes to the spiritual life, what Jesus is actually saying here and pointing out to us in Matthew 6 is that it's not just about what you do. It's not just about how you sow. It's not just about the physical action that you participate in. It's about your motivation. It's about your heart. I'm going, to point, I'm, going to, I'm going to prove this to you as we walk through this passage, but I want to, I want to step into this passage uh, through that lens, thinking about this, that, that many things that we do in life have to do with what we put into them action-wise, in the physical sense, we're going to get out what we put in. But in the kingdom, in the spiritual sense, it's not just about what we do on the outside in the physical, it's also about where our heart's at inside. Okay, so I want to I want to make uh, five quick points about prayer and fasting, and I want us to look at this uh, these points and this these two subjects these two subjects through the lens that motivation matters. Motivation matters for us. This is point number one. When it comes to prayer and fasting, it's an assumption. When it comes to prayer and fasting, it's an assumption that Jesus makes. I don't know if you caught this or not, but Jesus makes a pretty big assumption. And you know what they say about people who assume things? Well, in Jesus' case, it makes him brilliant. It makes him brilliant. That's what it makes him. Because Jesus is so amazing. He says, when you pray, when you fast, did you catch that? When you pray, don't be like this, but pray like this. When you pray, don't heap up words, but pray like this. When you fast, I love Jesus because whereas if he put a certain commandment on us and he said, when you pray every single day for 15 minutes a day, then we will be able to look to him and either get caught up in the legalism of it or we'd be able to look at other people and say, you did it this way or I didn't do it this way and, and get caught up in the routine and the action of it and then if Jesus didn't say anything at all about it then we might just because we're human we might just say well prayer is no longer necessary anymore because Jesus didn't tell us to pray specifically now what he says is when you pray he just assumes that we're going to do it he assumes that you're going to pray he doesn't line out for us how often and for how long and you know what for that I'm actually thankful not because I'm trying to find a way to pray less, but because Jesus is trying to get to the heart of an issue, not put legalism on top of us. When you pray is what he says. When you fast, he's assuming that we're going to do it. I took JC out, my daughter, out on a date once, and, and for our date, I said, you get to choose a, a little necklace from the store, and she found a little two-pack of necklaces, and uh, one of them was a rainbow-colored unicorn, and one of them was a rainbow-colored rainbow. Necklace. And she said, Daddy, I got two. 
you should have one and I'll have one. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I, I'm in a lose-lose situation here. Like a rainbow colored rainbow or a rainbow colored unicorn. So I got the unicorn and it was awesome. Like it barely fit because it was a girl's thing, but so just high enough to everybody could see it, even if I tucked it in. But we would do this thing where I'd pull it out and, I, and, and we'd go tink and we would, we would tink our necklaces and, and it, was, it was amazing, it was beautiful. And so a few days went by and then Wednesday came up and, uh, and I go, Jay, I can't wait, or no, no, she came out of her room, she goes, Daddy, where's your necklace? I said, Jay, it's Wednesday, it's intern day, I can't wear my necklace. She goes, why not? I go, because the interns will make fun of me. And she goes, well, let's... I mean, that's a big deal, you know? I'm going to get persecuted. And she said, let's pray. And I was like... Like, I'm like, dude, and dude, my kids are not super spiritual. Like, I'm not bragging up here. She never prays, you know? I was like, whoa, this is a God thing. So she prays, and I was thinking that she was going to pray that they wouldn't make fun of me. But she didn't pray that. She said, God, I think it was something like, help daddy to be okay when they make fun of him. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? And dude... It was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me because she had God's heart in that moment. Because of our relationship, she wasn't trying to pray that like I would avoid the persecution. She just assumed that because I love her so much, I'm not only going to wear the necklace, but I'm going to endure the persecution based on our relationship. You know, like it's an assumption. She knew that I would do it. Like, why wouldn't you, Dad? Of course you're gonna. Like, who cares about the interns? I'm my my relationship with you is worth so much. You're gonna do it. It's an assumption. Here's the thing about God. It's not about legalism. Jesus assumes that if you're actually in relationship with Him, that you're gonna want to spend time with Him. That's what prayer and fasting is about is about relationship. Now sure, we're gonna ask for things to be done and we're gonna pray and uh, do spiritual battle and, and, and all of the, those things, but really it's about relationship. And Jesus is assuming that we're gonna participate in that. Number two, it's not about being seen, but it's about seeing God. Twice in verses 5 and 6 and verses 16 and 18, he says this, And when you pray, don't be like the actors who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners that they might be seen. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they love to disfigure their faces and look like they are fasting so that they will be seen. You know, whether it's prayer or fasting or anything else in our faith, it's never about being seen by other people. It's about being seen by God and it's about seeing God. It's about being seen by God and it's about seeing God. We live in a world right now where people love to be seen. It's a selfie world. I call it the selfie sphere. Everything is about the self, you know? And, and we just, we live in this culture that like it's all about us being seen. But really, 
It's about us, and we're, we're trying to get our validation from other people and whether they like our posts and like our stuff and like us and their words for us, and I fall into that trap just like anybody else. But really, it's not about other people's opinions. The only opinion that really matters is God's opinion of you, who he says that you are, not whoever else says that you are. Who does God say that you are? And if you're not spending time in prayer and his word, you don't know his heart for you or towards you, then you're not gonna be able to know who you are in him. Secondly, we should try, we should want to put ourselves in a position where we can see God, where we can hear from God, where we can have eyes to see him, ears to hear him, a heart to receive from him, and we need to put ourselves in that position where we're interacting with him. It's definitely not about being seen. Now, I'll just say this. Sometimes, like, people condemn people because, like, they ever say a prayer ever in front of somebody else or, or there's corporate prayer meetings and you know what, that's not what it's about. We can have a corporate prayer meeting and by the way, we can have a corporate fast. The point of the corporate prayer meeting and the corporate fast, the, the, our motivation is not that we would be seen. That's not the heart of it. Just because somebody sees you pray doesn't make you evil. The point is, if your motivation is to be seen, then you need to correct your motivation. It's not a matter of whether or not somebody sees you. It's a matter of whether or not that's why you did what you did. Okay, you're not doing it in order to be seen and to get recognition. And I'll just say this, for those of you that are doing much for the kingdom of God, keep going. For those of you that are wondering, does anybody notice what I'm doing? God notices what you're doing. God loves what you're doing. God sees in the secret place of your heart how you are serving him. I saw this meme once where uh, somebody said, it was like called Coffee with Jesus. It was this cartoon strip and it said, somebody goes, hey Jesus, who's your favorite worship pastor? And you know, Hillsong or Jesus Culture. And he said, it's the lady in the rice fields in Indonesia. Oh, she is so good. Nobody knows her name, but she is so good. What you do in secret is seen by the only person that matters. So keep going. I got to get moving, man. I'm sorry. I'm, I am just running behind here. Number three, it's not about religious manipulation, verses seven and eight. He says, when you pray, do not just babble and babble and babble and babble and babble and thinking that, again, motivation, thinking that in your wordiness, in your babbling, that's what's gonna get you heard by God. All, th all throughout this passage, it's about motivation of your heart. It's not really about the action that's being performed, though the action is necessary, just like sowing a seed in the field is necessary. In the spiritual place, it's not just about the action, it's about the motivation. He saying don't think in your head that because of your religion and your wordiness and you're going on and on and on do not think that that's what's going to get you heard that's not what's going to get you heard knowing that God is your father is, is what's going to get you heard because you're a son or a daughter of God that's why he's going to hear you not because you're just being religious okay number four it's about lining up with heaven it's about lining up with heaven. And I just got to blaze through this really quickly. I, I, I really should preach a whole message on this. I have before, but I just want to say this briefly about the Lord's Prayer. Every single verb in this, except for the verb talking about what we've already done, i.e. forgiving our debtors, every single verb in this prayer that you probably know by heart is an imperative commandment. That is to say, when you say to your kid, go clean your room, that's an imperative commandment that you expect that child is gonna obey you. And if you're like me, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But that's a commandment. You're saying, go and do this. You're not saying, hey, you know, if you'd like to maybe consider cleaning your room later. No, a commandment is, there's, there's movement to it. There's, 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 there's an urging to it. There's like, come on, do this. 
And I feel compelled to point out the fact that this prayer contains every single verb is a commandment. Now, I think that we translate it the way that we do because it's a pretty hefty thing to command Yahweh, the God of the universe, but indeed, that is exactly what Jesus told us to do. I think this is what he means. He wants us to approach God with passion, with fervor, and with urgency because when we pray this prayer, we're actually praying his heart, what he wants already. We're not coming up with desires that we want on our own. God, give me that Lamborghini. Give me that Lexus in my living. You know, No, no, it's not about telling God, commanding God to give us what we want, even though sometimes really, if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes our prayers sound like this, that we would never say it. God, let my kingdom come and my will be done. But that's not the way that he taught us to pray. And if we follow the method that he taught us to pray in, really not really just the words, but the heart of the matter, we can approach God with, with some authority because we're praying his heart already. This is what the prayer actually sounds like. Our Father in heaven, let your name be made holy on earth. I want, your name, I want your name to be revered as holy in my heart, in Coeur d'Alene, in this world. God, let it happen. Yeah. Let people see you as the holy God that you are. Amen. God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are commandments. God, give me today my daily bread. I'm not asking for a month's worth or a year's worth so I can forget about you and go on my way. I'm just asking that you would give me enough for today so I can meet with you again tomorrow. Forgive me, God, of my debts, just as I have already forgiven my debtors. That's a scary prayer, by the way. You should be sure that you forgave your debtors if you're going to ask him to forgive you in the same way, (laughs) right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes on to, to say this, this sub-point about forgiveness, you really should forgive other people and so on and so forth. There's passion to prayer. There's something that should move inside your spirit to see heaven come to earth. Point number five. It's about relationship as our reward. It's about relationship as our reward. Hey, Parker, will you come here, buddy? This is my four-year-old son, Parker. Come here. Come on, Parker. Parker's in this um, mode right now where he is just in love with his dad. Isn't that true, bud? God is the best. You're awesome. We didn't even practice that one. Hey, buddy, do you love your dad? He's the best, too. (laughs) But lesser, right? How much do you love me? Farther than the galaxy. Farther than the galaxy? Do you want to be with me? When do you want to be with me? Forever. Forever. Why do you want to be with me? Because I love cuddling with you. Have you, buddy. Okay, go back to Kate. Cuteness factor 100, right? Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating this. Like, I really, truly feel bad for my wife right now because she, like, he, he, like, 
shuns her sometimes. And it's, it's sad. I, I get it. Like, he's going to become a teenager and shun us both eventually. But I'm trying to, like, enjoy this season where he is head over heels in love with me. And I don't know when's that, when that's going to change or what's going on, but he'll, like, make up reasons why he comes to my room in the early hours of the morning. And I can tell that they're made up, like, oh, I had a bad dream. And it's like, no, you didn't, dude. You're lying. <laughs> Because he just wants to cuddle with me. He just wants to hold me. He just wants to be with me all the time. And, you know, sometimes he asks me for things, and that's natural and that's normal. Sometimes he asks me for things that I want to give him. Sometimes he asks me for things that I don't want to give him. Sometimes I need to correct him and discipline him and all of those things. But at the essence of his heart, it's not about what he can get from me. He just truly just wants to be with me. I mean, he holds onto my leg when I leave. In fact, I wasn't even going to bring him to church tonight, but he wouldn't let, I mean, he just wouldn't, he just, it had to happen. (laughs) And I just want to say this in regards to prayer and fasting, that relationships should be your reward. Relationships should always be your reward. God's heart should be your reward. You notice Jesus says, For those that make their reward the desire to be seen, they've already received their reward, so from God they will get nothing. For those that fast and their reward is that they'll be noticed by others, they have already received that reward, and so from God they will receive nothing. But when you make your reward in the secret place that God would see you, that you would see God, that you would have relationship with him, well, then God will give you that reward because it hasn't already been fulfilled by something else. I want to encourage you that your prayer life would come alive again because there's a God that is so desperate for relationship with you, true relationship, not just your religious action, not just asking for things, but your relationship, that he would reward you with the intimacy of his presence. Now, I am, like, significantly behind in this. Will you give me, like, five minutes to do something really practical? Um, Because I think it will help you, and I did promise you practicality, and I am supposed to be done right now, but if you're okay with this, if if this is the... uh, This is the point where I'm just going to get super practical, and I hope that this helps you. I hope that if you have something to write this down on that you would, because... I wanted, I wanted to really address the heart of prayer and fasting first because it's always about the heart and the why first, and that is relationship. The relationship with him would be our reward. Um, but I do, I do want to point out just a few things in regards to prayer um, that I think will help you in, um, this is what I, I call it taking inventory. So um, we do this exercise with our interns every year, and um, I would just really encourage you, whether you write this down or not, um, that you would take inventory of your prayer life um, because it really matters practically. And and I think that you could put this into practice this week. I'm going to ask you to pray and to consider fasting uh, this week. And I'll talk to to you about that in one second. But this is is what I I want you to just consider in your own life. And number one, it's your posture. Um, Your posture towards God. I don't know if you can read that or not. I have horrible handwriting, but I just need to get something. Um, So when you think about your prayer life, when you pray, however long it is that you pray, however often it is that you pray, when you pray, 
do you find yourself doing more talking or more listening? Now, this is what we do with our interns. I'm gonna give them a sheet this week. They don't know this yet. I'm gonna give them a sheet, and nobody, they're not gonna turn it into me. They're not gonna, it's not a test. This is for them and God only. Nobody is gonna see their answers on this test, but I'm actually gonna have them write down. You consider your own prayer life, and in this box, on a scale from one, with 100% total, what's the percentage that you spend talking, and what's the percentage that you spend listening? Just write it down. And then nobody's gonna see it. It's not so anybody else can see and judge them. It's just between them and God for, for them to really consider, take inventory of their own prayer. How much time do I get with God and listen to him? How much time when I do pray, do I just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and never wait for a response? Somebody asked C.S. Lewis once, how much do you pray? And he said, well, if by that you mean talking to God, probably normal, not very much. But if by that you mean how much do I listen to God, I pray a lot. So I just want to encourage you to think about your posture towards God. Do you talk a lot or do you listen or both? Number two, your form of prayer. Form of prayer. There's, there's a few different forms of prayer that you can have. And I'm sorry if you can't read this. I don't have a ton of space. But one... Uh, one form of prayer is thanksgiving, just saying thank you to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all that you've done in my life and just spending time thanking him. One form of prayer is praising him. Praise doesn't have to happen just in the midst of singing and worship. One form of prayer is asking, and we can ask for many different things, but one form of prayer is asking. One form of prayer is declaring. One form of prayer is confessing or repenting. I'm just gonna go ahead and do that. And I would say just being. If you think about your prayer life, what percentage of the prayer time, your time with God, is spent just thanking him, truly thanking him for the things that he's done in your life, the things that he's given you? What percentage is spent praising him what percentage is spent asking him for stuff? If we're honest, a lot of our prayer time is spent asking. You know, we go to God when we need something. What percentage of your time is spent declaring how much time you spend just confessing, just pouring your heart out? You, can, you could confess anything, no matter how real and raw it is in your heart. The Psalms are a great example of that. And, how, and what percentage of time do you just... Do you just like in your heart, in your mind, just get away and just set your heart on God and just be. Number three, for whose sake? For whose sake? Do you pray for yourself? Do you find yourself praying for others? These, by the way, are all examples of uh, biblical teachings on how you can pray. And nothing's, you know, they're all good. They're all different. Do you pray for the world? Do you pray for your enemies, which is a commandment? Do you pray for leaders? And do you pray for the church? And I'll just get the last one up here. Well, no, just real quick. When you pray, 
If you notice that all your prayers usually center around yourself, you just might consider changing that a little bit. Think of just, just think of a few people that you know in your life that you could pray for specifically. It's a, it's a really life-giving thing, not just to pray like generally for other people, but to pray for specific people. Of course, we want to pray for our world. You should consider praying for those that you might consider to be an enemy, maybe those that hate you, maybe those living in the Middle East, maybe those that have wronged you. You should pray for them. Pray for leaders as much as we complain about our leadership in this world whether politically or otherwise, we should pray for them. I think we should make it a rule. As much as we're going to complain, we should probably pray equally as much. Just a thought. You pray for God's church, his bride, what it is that you're a part of. And I want to draw your attention to one, one last section. If you're asking, If your prayers consist of asking, which if we're honest, many of us ask, is it for material things? Or is it for spiritual things? And even at that, either one, are they needs or are they wants? We, you know, we pray a lot and we ask for stuff. But as much as we ask for material things for ourselves, and we talk a lot, we should really ask that first and foremost, in the spiritual place of our life, our heart, that God would let his kingdom come and his will be done in us. We should ask that his relationship with us be, would be the defining aspect of our life. We should be in a position and a posture where we're not just always praying for ourselves, but we're praying for other people. We should be in a position where we're not just always talking to God, but listening to God. Really, all of it is about relationship. And there's much that could be said about the subject of fasting and many different fasts throughout the scripture. And if you don't know what fasting is, just briefly, it would be the intentional uh, choosing to not give yourself something, food primarily, for a purpose. It's not just going hungry. It's not just stopping doing something so you could do something else, like I'm gonna fast from social media for a month and then just binge watch Netflix. No, no. The point of fasting is to put yourself in a position where you remind your spirit how needy you are. Because if there's anything that God taught us, it's that humanity has this ability to become really comfortable with the things that are on their exterior, like the things that God has provided for us, namely to be full with food and to forget about God and how desperate for him we are. But something happens inside of us spiritually when we neglect food physically. And I'm just saying, if you've never done it, you, you may not know what I'm talking about, but it's very real and it's very good to intentionally neglect food, to fast for a season, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's, that's between you and the Lord, but to choose to fast from something is reminding you how desperate you are for God. Are you desperate for God? Are you desperate for that intimacy of relationship with him? What fasting does 
is it reminds you to be desperate to be desperate. Because you can't avoid the pain, you can't avoid the feeling, and so you're in this position where you spend that time where you would have been eating and filling yourself. You feel that, and it urges you to spend that time praying and seeking God. I know that I'm like significantly over here. I just wanna thank you for being so attentive. Uh, I wanna just lay this, this last challenge down. Like I said, we're, our hope is that you would take each one of these things and actually put it into practice this week or, this week or the coming weeks. And so this is what I want to tell you. We have this event called The Sound coming up in uh, two weekends. And if you've never been to The Sound, you should come and you should get here early. But every year going into the beginning of the year as a church, not an institution, not the staff, but as a church family, we do corporate prayer and fasting. This is why I'm preaching towards this. Prayer and fasting that we would seek God for his heart for us for the coming year and that we would prepare ourselves for whatever it is that he wants to do at the sound and beyond. And so this is my challenge and only you can answer this in your heart and only you can answer this in your actions and only you can perform this in the motivation of your heart. But my request is that you would consider praying this week in a way that's different than the way that you prayed last week. So maybe you're thinking, I pray every week. Just consider praying differently. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's a different form. Maybe it's a different heart posture. I don't know what it would be for you. But if you don't pray at all, that you would commit to praying this week. And that over the next two weeks, whether it's for a short period of time or for a day or for whatever it is, that you would consider being part of this fast that we're doing as a church family. Maybe it's food. I would encourage food, but if you can't do it, maybe it's something else. But I just want to inform you, as a church body, we're, we're formally and officially doing a church fast January 2nd through the 13th. The 13th is the first day of the sound. And so anytime between the 2nd and the 13th, together we're gonna be fasting. And we're not doing it so that other people can see us. We're doing it so we can see God. We're doing it so we can seek God. We're doing it so we can meet with him. And, and if you need to do everything you can do so nobody knows what you're fasting, mean, don't get on Facebook and tell everybody what you're fasting. That's not the point. The point though is that we would do it together. And as a community together, we would seek him and that we would grow in our individual relationships with him and in our corporate relationship with God and what he's doing in our city.